when it may seem like we've solved the diversity issue in the arts here in Canada. When you look around and you finally see Indigenous books winning the biggest awards and Black poets sharing the stage with their literary peers, it starts to feel like hope. After literal decades of colonizing the art of minority groups, it's important to hear from people like Deviani Saltzman, who has led programming at the Art Gallery of Ontario and at the Banff Centre. Because according to Saltzman, while we are promoting individual people, we don't do enough to create a safe space for true systemic change. Welcome to the conversation piece. Good evening. I'm Deviani Saltzman. I'm currently fighting some microbes myself. So I have a glass of water and a little soft-spoken. We are at a tipping point, not only in terms of climate change, so eloquently spoken about in politics, but in culture as well. The shift from old stories to new stories, stories that have previously existed in the margins that are now becoming closer to the center. I'm thinking about the MoMA's recent rehang and the reframing of the artistic canon from perspectives that are often overlooked and voices that are often sidelined to Ian Williams winning the Giller Prize two days ago. And when, yes, woot. <laughs> and when we speak about survival and culture, I think of two things, the continued evolution of our shared narratives and the survival of artists, leaders, and change makers involved in pushing those narratives forward. There are many people of color, black, indigenous, and people of color having this conversation right now informal networks trying to survive the tipping point and facing the shared ceiling of colonial legacy and power together. I am one of those people. I've worked in the arts for 10 years as a child of a Punjabi immigrant and a Jewish Torontonian, first as the founding curator at Luminato, Toronto's Festival of Arts and Creativity, and then as the director of literature at the Banff Centre for the Arts, the first woman in the role in the centre's 85-year history and the first woman of colour. I now work at the AGO, another colonial legacy institution, as the head of programming. It's the fourth largest museum in North America, and my job is overseeing an amazing group of curators who work in performance, talks, and film, specifically with the mandate of opening doors and welcoming people into a space that they often didn't see themselves in. When I was hired at Banff, the conversation around diversity and inclusion wasn't at front of mind as it is today. I was honored by the appointment at 27 and energized to see how one could shift and diversify programming to better reflect the voices of this country. Shifting institutions, especially from the inside out, is not easy, even when invited in. I had a vested interest. As a young journalist, I had never applied to their literary journalism program, which is quite esteemed. I had never, quote unquote, seen myself in that space, nor seen myself reflected in those that would be my teachers. When I arrived, I spent three years introducing new programs, an emerging writers program, the center's first environmental writing program, and the center's first investigative journalism program with a self-described mandate to hire faculty of color and indigenous faculty. As we just said, seeing oneself in a space and lowering barriers to access by creating fully scholarship programs is one of the most important things to the welcome, the welcome I hadn't felt a decade earlier. This work takes resilience. Any type of longitudinal cultural shift does. What I discovered quickly, and once out of the first blush of energized naivete, was little matters to the BIPOC body doing this work around inclusion if change in those values aren't commonly shared and structurally built into the institution one is serving or those in the ultimate positions of power. And this is the rub. If there isn't alignment throughout an organization, around the true value of inclusion and diversity of differently lived experiences, it will backslide. 
and it will wear you down in the process. Due to structural changes in leadership at Banff, I ended up, through a restructure, losing my team and a mentor who was dedicated to that change. She was not a woman of color. The work became harder and more isolated, and eventually my health started to fail. The end came when I was unable to support the center's first program dedicated specifically to BIPOC writers, the program closest to my heart that I had designed with faculty that included Griffin Prize-winning poet Liz Howard and David Cheriandi. I ended up in hospital, exhausted for two weeks, unable to stand. The cost of this work, as many in this room may know, especially if it is uphill, is ultimately one's own personal health. What is the point of this story? How does it relate to survival? I truly believe the survival of one's own person, one's own dignity, and the ultimate survival of healthy culture in Canada rests on increasingly asked the question, what is beyond that initial invitation and welcome? How can governance and leadership in legacy institutions truly be conscious and embody the values and understand the lived experience of BIPOC or differently abled folks? What I learned from my Banff experience is survival relies on knowing we are not alone. Upon returning to Toronto from the mountains and beginning to speak publicly about my experiences as a senior leader in culture, people began reaching out. I learned of networks from historically marginalized backgrounds forming networks to support each other. What was fascinating was there were so many, and they often shared the same common story, isolation within organizations where they were often one of a handful of people in senior management or artistic leadership. It was the 10% rule, the percentage of BIPOC folks when one walks into any established organization, any boardroom, or in that case, most any room in Canada. The key to survival and resilience was knowing one was not alone and that collective awareness and collective action can lead to shifts in organizing think organizational thinking and culture. So what does it mean to create sustainable change? I will be honest, I don't know the answer to this, but I think about it often, almost every day, almost every minute. This is what I do know. To truly support and retain a new hire in my case or anyone's case or move beyond proudly announcing a person and having them act as a spokesperson is to create a system of support in the workplace for those people. This means policy and training from the board level down. It means creative tactics for reaching that tipping point faster without the load resting on the shoulders of a single person or a small group of people. Think cluster hiring. OCADU in Toronto demonstrated this beautifully recently when they did an Indigenous cluster hire, hiring over five faculty members, and now a POC cluster hire meant to create a critical mass of senior BIPOC faculty and structural change. Most importantly, I believe it's, almost, it's always important to advocate the, for the freedom to speak of your experiences bravely and safely, despite difference in hierarchies of power. It's something the AGO and I are working on right now as part of a, a part of a policy around rules of engagement within the workplace and something I believe in deeply. You may wonder why this work is worth it, something I also ask myself. Broadcaster Jesse Wente advocates for working outside of our legacy cultural institutions and chose to leave the CBC and the Toronto Film Festival to start the Indigenous Screen Office. Why fight uphill? I feel there is deep merit to this and often consider starting my own cultural organization or working with other BIPOC folks to do the same. But for now, I still feel there is worth in pushing for change from the inside, especially as these spaces often have the platforms and budget to reach and potentially create transformative change for the most important constituents in this equation, our communities. Thank you.
Deviani Saltzman is an independent curator and consultant working with organizations on strategies for programming innovation and new models of arts leadership. And she spoke at CIFAR Presents The Walrus Talk Survival in 2019. And she's just one of the over 800 fantastic Canadians who have walked and wheeled the stage at The Walrus Talks. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider donating to The Walrus. We are a registered charity that relies on our community of donors and sponsors to produce compelling journalism, events, and podcasts. Learn more about how your support can make an impact at thewalrus.ca slash donate.